Hello and welcome back to another episode of Blush. I'm your host, Eva, and I hope everyone's having just a stunning November day. Can we talk about how fucking warm it was over the weekend? Or I guess it was end of last week over the weekend yesterday. I wore shorts. I wore shorts on Sunday and Monday. Is that not like kind of crazy? I mean, I'm not complaining at all. I do think these are the positive side effects of global warming, and I understand how cunty that sounds given that there are like polar bears literally dying, and I'm like, well, I can wear shorts in November, so yeah, not really a cute color on me, but guess what? I'm vegan, so I feel like I'm doing my part for the environment. Okay, let's move right along. Um, So we're doing part two of listener questions this episode. And so even though I have like 14,000 things that I really, really, really want to talk about, like I was in Miami last week, I really want to talk about it. I have a bunch of other fucking notes written down that I really want to get into, but I promised myself that I would just get straight into the questions so that I can answer as many of them as humanly possible. And the good news is there's a lot of overlap in the questions. So there, like, there's one question that was submitted like 15 times, basically worded slightly differently. So even if you don't hear your exact question, you'll probably hear a question that's exceptionally similar to yours because we're all kind of on the same wavelength. And then there's a few questions that are not similar to anyone else's questions, one in particular that I can think of that's just going to be a fun ride for all of us. So I really want to get right into it. The only thing I'm going to say is if you are a member of the Blush Academy, look out for the Thanksgiving challenge. I'm so fucking excited. There's going to be healthy Thanksgiving recipes should you want them. There's going to be wellness hacks. There's going to be attachment theory stuff. There's going to be mindset tools and tricks. I mean, listen, the holidays are triggering, right? Like Thanksgiving triggers body image stuff, which frankly, I have like no business speaking about at all. Speaking of which, there's another Showfields event on November 15th. So if you're in the New York City area, please come to that. It's a free event. It's going to be super fun. Um, my friend Alyssa Alter, who you might remember from the podcast, is going to be there because, like, again, I have zero answers given body image. Like, I have questions. I don't have answers. Like, things like attachment theory, I can speak on with confidence, right? Because, like, I went from, like, the most anxious, fearful, avoidant type of bitch to, like, pretty secure. So I, I can speak on that. But, like, body image, my body image is fucked, guys. Like, that's the truth. Like, yes, I might not be like fully, fully, fully in my eating disorder because I'm not. I'm like I eat, you know, like things like that are much, much, much better. But like my like I'll look in the mirror sometimes and be like, oh, my God, I'm fat. And like, I know I'm not fat. I rationally know I'm not fat, (laughs) but that doesn't change the way that I see myself, like my body image and stuff. It's not I have zero answers anyway. How did we get on this bizarre tangent? Oh, that's right. Thanksgiving. Listen, Thanksgiving brings up a lot of stuff. There's that stuff. Like what I can offer are really, really tasty recipes that are pretty healthy. So if you want to just like roll up with a healthier Thanksgiving dish that is still like really fucking good that I can offer you. But the holidays bring up a lot of other stuff. And like, no matter what you're doing, it's going to bring up shit, right? If you're with family, I mean, good God, like, is there anything 
on the face of this planet that is as triggering as family can be. Okay, so like you're going to be triggered if you're with your family, most likely, unless you're like one of the very few people who just has like a perfect family dynamic and you guys are just like lovely and amazing all the time. If so, like what's that like? Please tell me more about it. Um, But even if you're not with family, it can be triggering. Um, If you're single, a lot of people going into the holidays, that can be triggering. I know it certainly used to be for me. Like it just, the holidays bring so much fucking baggage. And so the idea of the Thanksgiving week mini challenge is to just like, A, for us to collectively do stuff together Because I really, like, not to be too woo-woo, I feel like when we do things collectively together as a group, like, the energy is greater. It's just, it's more, you know, I don't know. I don't know. The energy is greater. That's that's the word that I have for it. Um, and it's it like it's gonna hit from all angles, right? Because I believe in wellness from a holistic approach. So I think what you eat affects your mood. I think your mood affects your physical well-being. Like it's it's mind, body, spirit, emotions, mental, physical, it's it's everything together. And so the Thanksgiving week mini challenge is designed to do all of those things. We're gonna work through a bunch of stuff together. There's going to be different tiers of things. So like if you're really, really busy, there's just like more simple things you can do every day. If you have the week wide open and you really want to dive into like more intense healing, there's going to be more options for you. If you want recipes, those are going to exist. If you don't want them, you can ignore them. Anyway, it's going to be super, super fun. So if you're a Blush Academy member, look out for that. If you are not, you can go to the link in the show notes to sign up just in time to do the Thanksgiving week mini challenge. And then we're going to do a 2023 kickoff challenge that's going to be a month long. So it's going to be like the Thanksgiving challenge, but like way more intense and way more fun. And it's just going to be the perfect way to start the new year on the best fucking foot ever. Um... Also a reminder, if you are a Blush Academy member, there's a Q&A service. Um, it should show up right in your courses. It'll be like listed as a separate course. You can click on the link there, submit questions, make sure when you do, you check off that you are a Blush Academy member and the answers will be within that course there. Um, you can submit like both like life type questions, like the type of questions we're going to be doing today on the podcast or just like stuff specifically about the courses. And one last announcement before I get right into the questions If you are a Flush Academy member and you are having issues having the courses show up on the Teachable app, DM me and I'll walk you through it because it's apparently for some people, like for some people just shows right up. For other people, it's you have to like go through this weird extra step to make them show up, which couldn't tell you why. (laughs) Honestly, I'm really annoyed. I want to have a little talking to Teachable, but just DM me and I'll get you sorted out because you can access them on the app. And then that way you can also like download the guided meditations and have them saved for like, if you're going to be on a plane or whatever. I personally really like to do that on days that I travel. Okay. Without further ado, let's jump right into the first question of the day. And This is a question that was submitted in different words over and over and over and over again. So this is the wording that I chose to read out. But again, many, 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 many of you submitted some variation on this question. 
I now know my attachment style. I want to know strategies if I'm self-sabotaging or if they are actual red flags and should leave. I have a tough time knowing when to leave, in parentheses, intuition, or if it's just anxiety. Any advice would help. Okay, so for just basic like intuition versus anxiety, I always say this, you can feel the difference in your body. When it's anxiety, you are activated, like your heart will be racing, you might have palpitations, you know, your palms might be sweaty. I mean, not me personally. I have this weird thing where I like I'm a girly who sweats like I sweat like a 500 pound man. I sweat a lot. I've actually been told by doctors that it's not such a bad thing, which makes me feel a little bit better about like how gross I feel constantly because I sweat a lot. But I don't sweat from my palms and the bottoms of my feet at all to the point where it's actually a problem. Like I don't have good grip on things. Like like things will like slip out of my hands or like um when I try to open plastic bags like you know like like those grocery bags like when you're like putting produce in a bag or um you know the same thing with doggy bags I have a really hard time opening them because like I don't sweat enough from my palms to have like proper grip on things and I'm convinced that my palm sweat glands were just misplaced into my head because like let me tell you, the top of my lip will sweat like a fucking motherfucker. Like it is intense how much sweat will come out of the top of my lip, but like not the proper amount of sweat for my palms. Anyway, so like not necessary. You might not have every single, you know, possible symptom of anxiety, but keep in mind that anxiety has a lot of physiological effects, right? Like you're in a sympathetic nervous system state. So like your digestion stops, your heart is racing, you feel charged. I mean, anxiety, anxiety historically is how we stayed alive, right? It's like, oh, you were aware of the fact that like a lion or a bear could attack you at any moment. So like your body sends you into a fight or flight state where you have energy, you have the strength, like it takes blood away from other parts of your body, like digestion, for example, or your sex organs and redirects them to your muscles and your brain. So you're on high alert of like, okay, if this like lion or bear comes, well, you're probably going to flee, right? I mean, the people who chose to (laughs) fight it. <laughs> probably didn't make it and to the people who didn't have, didn't have anxiety also didn't make it because they're out there like lottie dying and like fucking bear comes and eats you so the rest of us who are left actually have anxiety I think anxiety is an evolutionary trait because of this nevertheless but think anxiety is a charged state Whereas intuition is actually quite calm. Intuition is quiet. Intuition you can ignore. Anxiety you can't really ignore. With anxiety, it's like, oh my God, listen to me or the world will end. Listen to me or the world will end. Which again makes sense when you think about it from an evolutionary standpoint. Because it was like, run away from the fucking lion or we will die, you know? So anxiety is loud. Intuition is quiet. That being said, in this specific scenario, I think it's a lot harder to lean on the anxiety versus intuition, although part of it does hold. Again, like 
I've been in a lot of relationships where like there was intuition very quietly being like, leave this person. This isn't right. But it wasn't like loud, like an intrusive thought. But sometimes you actually have both. Like I've also, like I remember when I was dating the comedian, right? There was definitely quiet intuition that was like, nah, this isn't the dude for you. Like get out of this that I could easily ignore. But then there was also loud intrusive thoughts being like, is this right? Is this not right? Is this right? Is this not right? Is this right? Is this not right? So like when you're dealing with like, attachment stuff, like anxious attachment stuff, I actually think it's extremely difficult to differentiate, especially because it's very common with anxious attachment to feel activated by someone legitimately treating you wrong. So like you might actually feel anxious because you haven't heard from like, let's say the person you're dating and let's just say like a week. Okay. Cause that's like a good marker, I think. So like, yes, you'll have that loud anxiety, but like, I don't think you should dismiss that because it's also like kind of fucking weird to not hear from someone that you're dating for a week, you know? So it's both. So it's in those situations, it's actually really, really hard to differentiate between like if you're just being activated because of your attachment wounds or if their behavior is off. So like, you're welcome. I've just spent like 15 minutes just reiterating your question. But like, okay, now we're going to start getting to answers. Ultimately, ultimately, like the solution is to work through your attachment stuff. So like to really heal whatever wounds cause the attachment issues. Sometimes there's like small T trauma, things like, you know, your parents just didn't give you enough independence. They were really helicoptering. They were fulfilling their own need for love and attachment through you and not honoring your own needs. Sometimes there's bigger T trauma. Like you grew up in a household with a lot of like fighting, yelling, chaos, a lot of inconsistency. Your parents were sometimes, you know, a source of comfort and sometimes they caused you fear. And then there's like even bigger T trauma of like more serious abuse, right? Whatever your situation is, it's like working through stuff like that. And then really going in in a hypnotic state and giving yourself the childhood that you actually needed as a person. Um, I don't know if this person is a Blush Academy member or not, but obviously the courses will take you through all of those things. And if you are a Blush Academy member, what I would really, really recommend is every single time something happens where you're like, uh, is this like my attachment wounds being activated or is this person like legitimately doing something wrong? I would take it through one of the guided meditations within the courses and like just set that as your intention to get clarity on that question. And like through the prompts, I actually like that's what I personally do when I feel activated and I'm like, oh, I'm not sure what the answer is. I take it through one of those guided meditations and then I usually get an answer. Now, regardless of whether you are an Academy member or not, I do recommend journaling every time something like this happens because then you'll start to learn learn yourself a little bit better. And specifically what I would do is like journal out what happened, how do you feel, and what does this remind you of? Because I'm willing to bet any amount of money that when something is coming up, it's going to remind you of something that has already happened in the past. And that's why you're activated and getting in the habit of doing that will give you answers. Um, the other thing 
I want to say is even if it is your attachment step, you're allowed to ask someone to accommodate that, especially as you're working through things. And I'll give you an example. So I, back when I was like a lot deeper in my anxious attachment, one of my biggest triggers was like not hearing back from people or not hearing from people. And this would sometimes even play out in like, non-romantic relationships, although more rarely in those settings, it was usually more in like romantic settings. So like if I was seeing a guy and he wasn't texting me like every single day, I would be like, oh my God, he doesn't like me anymore. Oh my God, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. Like I'd start freaking out. Right. And then I started working on this stuff and I got a lot better. But when Ozzy and I were first dating, I remember saying to him like, Hey, listen, like if I don't, cause he's just like the, like the least good person on the phone and with texting, which is ironic because I also am awful with texting. So like the irony of me being so triggered by something when it'll take me like a full week to respond to people sometimes, it's not lost on me. Um, But I remember when we were first seeing each other, I was like, listen, if I don't hear from you every day, I will lose my mind. So like, I like, I understand like not necessarily needing to talk to me every day. And quite frankly, I don't really need to talk to you every day either. It's not about that. It's just that in my mind, I'll be like, well, he obviously doesn't like me and I'll start spiraling. So like, I just need to hear from you every day. You're allowed to ask someone to like accommodate a need, even if that need comes from a place of trauma, even if that need won't always exist. Cause like, guess what? Now I quite literally couldn't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like when he's out of town, he actually really does put in an effort to like text me every single day. I mean, he tries to call me every night when they're done, but like, if I don't hear from him, couldn't care less. Like it's, it's not even like a thing on my mind where I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? What's he doing? Like, I know he's really busy working. It's fine. We live together. We talk all the fucking time. Like it's, it's fine. Like I could not give a shit less, but in the beginning I did need it. And like, you're allowed to need whatever you need, which sounds stupid, but like you are. And I think that some of us have such like perfectionist tendencies and like really just want to be like the best versions of ourselves, which is a beautiful trait to like really want to be like your best self. Like a lot more people really should have, (laughs) like people in my family maybe should strive to be a better version of themselves. It's a really stunning thing, but like you don't have to be perfect and like you don't have to be perfectly healed and like you don't have to have like perfectly secure attachment to be able to have partnership. In fact, a lot of people with extreme anxious attachment just start dating someone who's secure and like end up being fine like that. I personally, that wasn't the case for me. Like I wanted to just stop feeling anxious. You know what I mean? So like if For me, like just like taking out all my anxious attachment stuff on someone who's secure and just willing to put up with it, like that wasn't the solution for me. And that's why I have my courses so that like other people who feel a similar way can actually work through it rather than being like, oh, I just found someone who puts up with it. But like if that's you go off, nevertheless, we are always allowed to have needs and we are allowed to ask people to meet our needs. And I think it's a really, really good 
test, not like a test, that's not the right word because like we're not testing people, but if you ask someone to meet a need and they're able to, they change their behavior to at least try to meet that need, that says a fucking lot about the person. Like I remember it going back to like the very beginning with Ozzy when I, you know, I'd say I was like 80% towards secure attachment, but there was like that last 20%. It was really nice. Like I noticed every time I would ask him, like I'd be like, okay, like this makes me anxious or like this makes me feel like this. Like he would always like change his behavior to give me what I wanted. So you're allowed to ask people. And like my communication tip is always like start with a compliment, then be like, you know, when this happens, it makes me feel like this. Do you think you could do this? Right. Like I've been having so much fun with you. um, But, you know, like when I don't hear from you really consistently it makes me start to spiral that you don't like me anymore so do you think you could try to just like call me every day or text me every day boom simple like it's so easy I always advocate for it I do always advocate for doing the internal work first before you have a conversation just because like you show up a lot more confidently to that conversation like I know I personally every time I've tried to like set a boundary or like voice my needs before going in and doing the subconscious work I show up like so shaky and like insecure of myself because on a subconscious level I don't actually believe that I'm worthy of having those needs met and what oftentimes happens is when I do the subconscious work I don't even have to voice the thing because it's just like the way I show up is like, no, I'm deserving of this. And so people meet it. Anyway, I hope that's helpful. If not, ask for more clarification. But yeah, a lot of people asked some variation of this. Question number two, my boyfriend and I are moving in together next month. I'm really nervous. It's my first time living with a partner. I know you and Ozzy moved in together a few months ago. Do you have any, did you have any hiccups? Was it hard? What advice do you have for making this a harmonious transition? Love that phrasing, a harmonious transition. Go off queen. Okay. For us, I'll be honest, it was really, really easy. I know that's not often the case, but here's the thing. We started, like, A, we dated, like, two years ago around this time, you know, for a few months, and then he went back to Australia. And then when we started dating again, June of 2021, it was a very gradual increase. In the beginning, we'd hang out two nights a week, and then it was three nights a week, and then it was four nights a week, and then it was five nights a week. It just kind of gradually increased, And then when we were in Australia last, like beginning of this year, so like it was like March, April of 2021, we were obviously living together. We were together every single day. And then when we came back here, we moved in together. So it was a very gradual increase. Like by the time we were quite literally living together, like we had already kind of been living together. So it wasn't like we already like... uh, just knew each other very well. And then on top of that, like we're pretty compatible in living styles. And by that, I mean like neither of us have like massive things that are like, you know, like it's not like, like I've dated guys who are like extreme, like neat freaks or clean freaks. And like as much as I wish I was, cause like there's nothing more that I love than like a really minimalist aesthetic with like zero clutter anywhere. Like it's just... I have a very hard time sustaining it. So like, you know, we just have compatible living styles. 
So for us, it really, really was very easy. Now, what I will say is like number one thing to be aware of when you're moving in with someone, and this is going to sound stupid, is they have stuff. Because here's the thing, like when you're like, like if you're about to move in together, my guess is like you've had a lot of overnights together, right? You're used to them being in your space or you being in their space a lot. What you're not going to be used to is like when you move in with someone, they have stuff, like they have belongings. (laughs) Much to my dismay, they own shit. (laughs) So it's just extra stuff. Like I've always found that to be the most jarring thing about moving in with a guy. I'm like, oh, oh, so it's not just like your body that's going to be entering now you have all this shit that's going to be here too cool (laughs) so just be mentally aware of that and like what you're going to do with your stuff now how I've handled it and keep in mind we came back from Australia like in May (laughs) still haven't really sorted this out but I've been trying to like get rid of shit in my closet and reorganize it so that he can put his stuff away it hasn't fully happened yet but it's also for a New York City apartment it's like pretty big so we've just dealt with it again like neither of us are clean freaks so there's just kind of shit everywhere as we deal with it but just be mentally aware that they're they're gonna have stuff and like how you're gonna make both of your stuff fit now on the other hand you're gonna save a lot of money in rent which is super super cool and like Living with someone is really great because it's like a sleepover every fucking night. Like, it's so fun. Like, you can have so much fun. Um, So, like, keep that in mind. Um, I do recommend uh, grabbing some poopery. It's a spray that you spray inside the toilet bowl before you poo. And it just, like, kind of masks the scent. And it's not, like, harmful fragrances. They use essential oils, I believe. Although... It is very strong for just being essential oils, but I actually really think it's like not like really harsh synthetic fragrances. And I really, really love it. It just kind of takes a lot of like the anxiety of the whole poo situation out because that's another thing when you move in with a boyfriend, the whole like poo of it all. Again, for us, it was easy because like we're so open. I'll just be like, hey, I'm about to poo. So like go to the other side of the apartment. Um, So that's something to keep in mind. I would recommend like whether it's formally or informally, kind of like delegating tasks. Again, a nice thing about living together is that you now have two people doing all of the household stuff. So like I generally cook because like I just enjoy cooking and I'm I'm often like recipe testing and things like that. Again, I like partially cook for a living. So it just makes sense that I do all the cooking and he generally does all of the dishes and um general cleaning around the house I don't really fuck with that stuff like we have a system and then the biggest thing that I recommend for moving in together is like pick your battles like you're not going to be able to get upset about everything it's just you're gonna have to pick your battles for example something I've noticed about men not to like gender stereotype but we're gonna is there is something about men that seems to make them like incapable of closing cabinet doors. I don't know what it is. Like maybe the gene for closing cabinet doors resides on the X chromosome. So much like colorblindness and baldness, it's just more prevalent in men. Couldn't tell you, but something about men, they just seem to not be able to close cabinet doors. So instead of being like, hey, dumbass, 
<laughs> like, why do you leave the cabinet doors open all the time? Like, what, like, the, do you just want easier access for next time? Or do you think it should just be open? Like, is this like a statement that you're making? Like, maybe you like the idea of an open concept kitchen and you think cabinet doors should just be open all the time. Generally, what I'll do is if he walks away, I'll be like, hey, uh, can you close that cabinet door? Or I'll just do it myself. Because it's just not like the hill that I feel like dying on. And I'd rather save that for something that's a little bit more meaningful. At the end of the day, who gives a shit? He doesn't close cabinet doors. It's, you know, it's a small price to pay for everything else. So really pick your battles, um, communicate your needs, like figure out what's actually, you know, like you really can't have this harp on that and really communicate instead of like being passive aggressive or like letting it fester. Like with most things in life, communication really fucking helps. Hope that's helpful. Congratulations. Honestly, just lean into the fun stuff. It's like I said, it's like having a sleepover with your best friend every single day. It's super fun. There's nothing better. Question number three, three, I think it's three. I don't know. I love this question. It's so interesting. I'm curious to hear your take on men in power and the hold they have over women. I've come to some conclusions about dating professional athletes, and I'm curious your take on them. When I was 18, I was being told which players were cheating on their significant other, some married with children, and had to pretend I knew nothing. I just feel that women put these guys on such a high pedestal that they will do anything to get their attention and almost treat them like God rather than just another guy doing his job. I cut parts of this question out because it was really long, but basically this girl, when she was younger, had dated a professional athlete. And so just to put a little context for that question, love, love, love this question. And I kind of have a hot take on this. And maybe I'm just projecting my own experiences, which I'll explain. But this is what I genuinely believe. I think women who date men in power secretly want to be in power. And by secretly, I mean like sometimes they're just not even aware of it themselves. And that's why we will like let so much shit slide. Like, can we just talk for a minute about how much athletes cheat? Again, not to stereotype, but like, hello, look at the NBA. Like, it's just what the fuck? And like, I get it. Like they just have like girls throwing themselves at them all the time. And like, you're right. So many women will just like turn a blind eye, even though they know. I mean, there is no bitch who is like dating my bitch. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean it in a loving way. Who was dating someone in the NBA who wasn't fully aware of the fact that they're probably cheating. The only exception, and I really hope this is an exception, is probably LeBron, who does seem to adore his wife. But even that, like I've heard so many rumors about LeBron, I genuinely hope they aren't true. Nevertheless, like they're cheating, like they're 9.9 times out of 10 cheating. It's insane. Anyway, I think women who date men in power secretly want to be in power. And I'll take that a step further. I think a lot of time we as women want certain things for ourselves, but subconsciously don't believe that we can get that thing on our own or that like we're not worthy or good enough to like step into that role. And so we end up dating the thing that we want. For example, women who marry into money, right? Like, and let's take it to an extreme, like women, like, let's say like, you know, the trope of like the 20 year old woman who marries like the 80 year old guy who's super wealthy, 
it's not that she like really wants to get money via that way. It's just that like through her own life circumstances, she hasn't been shown that it's possible for her to earn that money on her own. And so she thinks the only way to get that is through marrying into it, right? I think it's the same thing with women who date men in a position of power. They want to be in that position of power, but they just haven't been shown that it's possible for them through any other route other than marrying into it. And I'll take it a step further. If you've ever made anyone listening, not this person who asked this question specifically, but for anyone listening, if you've ever made a list of the things that you want in a partner, I would challenge you to look over that list and see how many of the things that you wrote down that you want in a partner are actually things that deep down you want for yourself. But like there's maybe part of you that's like, well, I could never have that. So I have to like find that thing in the person that I'm looking for. I used to do this shit all the time. I mean, I dated a fucking like comedian who was like mildly famous and I put up with a lot of shit from him, including the fact that he had a micro penis, <laughs> including the fact that he love bombed me, including the fact that he was like actually like genuinely like I'm not throwing this word around like we throw it around. I genuinely believe that he has narcissistic personality disorder. Uh, like there were a lot of things that he did that like really, really made me cringe and like really gave me the ick and I ignored them all not because like oh like I'm this like vain bitch who's gonna date any dude who's like kind of famous no I think that a like I'm pretty funny and I wasn't seeing that it like I couldn't like accept the kind of like funny silly side of myself because I just like I had played it small through so much of my life and I was just like oh it's better to just like be quiet and be in the background it's like less risky and like same like I think I really had like have like an innate desire to be seen. I'm not saying like I want to be like a list celebrity, not at all, in fact, but just like seen and recognized like a lot of us do. But like, I always thought it was like such a cringe thing. Like I remember when I was in elementary school, like when we would do plays, like I always wanted to be the lead in the play, but I also thought it was like cringy to want to be the lead in the play, right? Like I thought like, like, oh, I can't like audition for that or try. Like it just like someone has to like bestow it upon me. Cause like how cringe, like how like, oh, I'd be taking away opportunities from other people. Like if I'm the center of attention like I have to just like be the background to be liked and be like a nice good girl so like for me the way that I then express that very innate desire is by dating guys who were like the funny guy the big guy on campus or in the case of the comedian he actually was like kind of famous at the time not like a-list famous at all by the way like d-list famous but nevertheless like that was kind of the height of his career haha <laughs> that's what I do to them it's like the Kardashian curse just kidding <laughs> but like really his career did kind of like go downhill <laughs> as we were breaking up and then like really took a nosedive so <laughs> let that be a warning Ozzy if you're listening <laughs> uh just kidding anyway but yeah like I was you know getting that need met through men and it like finally at some point I had to take a look and be like okay why is it that I like seem to exclusively be attracted to comedians and finally I was like oh because like I'm funny and I'm not like I'm not fostering that side of myself. Like I even remember I was writing jokes for the comedian. And if anyone knows who he is, anytime he made a joke that was actually funny, that was my work. Thank you very much. Anytime he made a stupid, cringy dad pun, that was his work. 
<laughs> okay, poor guy. Like, I really don't need to come on so hard. He's a very nice guy. And let me just say this. Just because someone has, like, some type of personality disorder, like, I really, really think he has narcissistic personality disorder, doesn't mean that he's a bad person. Like, you know his needs also weren't met in childhood and that's why he ended up being that way and it kind of makes sense given the whole like micro penis of it all like that's a very hard thing for a guy anyway in conclusion I think that women who you know kind of seek out dating someone who is in a position of power, want that for themselves, and like just don't have the right role models to see that they can get it. And actually, I have a really fucking good example. Alex Cooper of Call Her Daddy, famously dated athletes, famously dated really fucking famous big athletes. I mean, she was dating, um, what's his name? Noah, a very hard to say last name of the Mets. What was that? Like a Mets pitcher, I think they call him. Um, what do they call him? Not the Hulk. What do they call him? Oh my God, I'm going to Google it because it's going to drive me insane. Uh, Noah the Mets. Thor, that's what they call him, Thor. Yeah, he kind of looks like Thor, I see it. Right, so she dated him for like many years and he would dick around with, on her. He would treat her like shit, yada, yada. But like, I think it's because sub like she always knew that she was destined for greatness. And she even says this, she used to like Google like the net worth of guys that she was dating and stuff. And like now people fucking Google her net worth, you know? And then finally she, through whatever means, like was able to see like, nah, like, I can get this shit on my own. I don't just have to get it through people that I date. And I think this is a symptom of a peach. God, I'm going to say the word that I never know how to say. Someone DM me a voice memo of how to say this word because it shouldn't be this hard. I think it's a symptom of the patriarchal, patriarchal society that we live in. Where we, especially like for us, like I think it's different for kids growing up now, but like we lived in a time where on TV we would see women marrying into things. Women, you know, Anna Nicole gets rich because she marries that old billionaire. Like we just see like that is how women get things rather than like no women can accomplish things on their own. So in conclusion, that's what I genuinely think. And that's why they put up with a lot because in exchange, they're getting the proximity to the thing that they actually want on their own. And zero judgment because I've been there. Okay, next question. I recently, and this was a very popular question too. Uh, again, variations on this. I recently broke up with someone in an attempt to get them to fight for me. Exactly like you talk about it in your TikTok. But instead of fighting for me, he said he's done. I've been begging him to take me back. Do you think there's any chance we'll get back together? Okay, first of all, I have quite literally been exactly there. Exactly, exactly, exactly there. Short answer, I don't know if you'll get back together, but let me expand. So when I was dating the comedian, <laughs> um, there were two times where I did this, right? There was one night, the absinthe night that I talked about, I believe two episodes ago. If you want to go back and listen to that, it was episode 101. I told the full story. I did kind of try to end things with them. Um, we didn't talk for a few weeks, but then we ended up dating after that. And then the second time I did it was New Year's Eve. This was um, so like December 31st of 2018 going into January 1st of 2019. Right. I like reached out at him while we we're at the fish show. I was like, I'm done with you, blah, blah, blah. And then immediately afterwards, I was like groveling, begging to get back together, yada, yada. Obviously, we did not. Although I will say like starting a few, not a few months later. No, no, no. Because like 
he dated someone else until the following New Year's. So like after he broke up with that person, he did actually really try to get back together with me a few times. And by that point, I was like so moved on <laughs> that it was whatever. Um, so I mean, in theory, could we have gotten back together? Yes, but like over a year after that. So we did not get back together. That doesn't mean you guys won't get back together, right? But here's the thing. In economics, there's something called um, the dominant strategy. It's like in game theory. And in game theory, you always look at like, okay, there's like what other people might do and what you might do. Like a, the most ca classic example in game theory is the prisoner's dilemma. You've probably heard of it, right? Like you and your friend get arrested. Um, I don't remember for what. I think there are variations of it, but it doesn't matter. And you're separated. And now if you're told, like basically your options are you either snitch on your friend or you stay strong. Now, if both of you stay strong, you get off. It's the best case scenario. But if you stay strong and your friend snitches, then you're super, super fucked. And if you snitch and your friend stays strong, you're super, the, your friend is super, super fucked. And if you both snitch, then it's less good of an outcome than if you had both stayed strong, but <laughs> it's not the ideal outcome. Okay, I'm not gonna go too far into this. Now, a prisoner's dilemma if like, let's say if your friend were to not snitch, your best option would be to not snitch. But if your friend does snitch, your best option is to snitch. So you don't really have like a dominant strategy that holds for both scenarios because it really depends on what your friend does and you don't know what your friend's doing is be because you're separated. In this scenario, you have a dominant strategy that applies to all situations. Whether you end up getting back together or not, your dominant strategy is always to do the internal work so that you can like move on from anxious attachment and don't do stuff like this. Because here's the thing, either like this is not your person, you're not going to get back together, or there's someone so much better out there for you, which might be a hard thing to hear right now. And I'm not saying that is the case because I quite literally don't know. But if that is the case, the best gift that you can give yourself right now is to go in and do the deeper work because A, it'll help you move on from this person quicker. B, it'll give you that clarity of like, oh my God, I actually could do so much better. Like I had with the comedian, right? Like I was like out here groveling to get back together with him. And then when I started doing the internal work, I was like, wait, this guy makes like stupid jokes. He has a micro penis. He's a narcissist. <laughs> like our, our relationship, I was like, none of my needs were being met. Quite literally not a single one of my needs was being met. Like I could do so much better. And my boyfriend now is so much better in literally every single way than the comedian was. Right? So that's one potential outcome. Or like you guys actually might get back together. And if you do... It sounds like this is a person who's not just going to like put up with, you know, uh, by the way, what happened here is anxious attachment protest behavior. I did talk about it more specifically in an episode a few episodes ago. The episode is called threatening to break up and other anxious attachment protest behavior. I think that's what it's called. So like go back and listen to that full episode. But it, like if you guys do get back together, my guess is this is someone who's not going to have a lot of grace for stuff like this. So you're going to want to start doing the internal work so that you 
next time, like really what happened is like you had some kind of need that wasn't being met, whether it was for attention or something else. You had some kind of need that wasn't being met. And instead of communicating that need, which is exceptionally hard when you have anxious attachment, you kind of reverted to like 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 a baby crying, throwing a tantrum to get their attention. Now, it's something that he didn't have patience for, which is fine. He's allowed to not have patience for that because it's really not like a very mature way of making our needs heard. I get it. I've done it so many times, so I'm not casting judgment, but I also get why he has boundaries around that too. That doesn't make him a narcissist or an asshole. It just makes him someone who doesn't want to deal with that. Again, I don't know more about him. Maybe he is a narcissist or an asshole. I don't know. But nevertheless, no matter what happens with the two of you in the future, the best course of action for you right now is to do the internal work. Again, I recommend my courses. You can find them in the show notes. I would start. I would maybe start. It's hard to say for your situation. Um, I would maybe do like the first three days of the breakup course and then go and do the attachment styles course and then maybe go back to the breakup course. I just think like doing those first three days will like kind of give you a bit of perspective on the situation right now, but not necessarily do the whole breakup course right now. Nevertheless, this is a very common thing. It happens all the time. And again, the best thing you can do right now is to like heal those attachment wounds and get the right communication skills so that in the future, whether it's with this guy or whether it's with someone else in the future, because neither of us really know what that future holds, you were actually able to communicate your needs in a healthy and a functional way instead of reverting to um, anxious attachment protest behavior. Again, if you don't know what that term means, go back and listen to that episode. Okay, the next question I'm not going to read because it was unbelievably long. So I'm just going to paraphrase. This was from a man whose girlfriend really enjoys playing with his belly button. They've been together for six years. Apparently it's a new thing that he does, that the girlfriend likes to do. And he has an Audi belly button. He's self-conscious about it. He's wondering if this is some kind of kink and, you know, what to do. He's open to it. If it is some kind of kink, he's just unsure about the situation. They also are like, trying to have a child together, I think, or like, I don't think she's pregnant yet. I don't know. And so he has a lot of questions about engaging with the baby's belly button and whether they should like blow raspberries on it and things like that. Okay. So I don't know if this is a kink or not. Um, I think this is a really good question to ask your girlfriend. Um, This is a situation where communication could be really, really nice because only she knows. And you can also communicate like, hey, I'm really self-conscious about my Audi belly button. I noticed that you like to engage with it a lot. Um, You know, if this is something that you need or want sexually, that's definitely a lane that I'm open to exploring. And you can always put boundaries on that, you know, like I'm open to exploring it, but like, you know, it's really sensitive or whatever, or like it might take some easing in for me because I have been teased for having an Audi and I am self-conscious about it. Quick aside, I've always wanted an Audi belly button. I'm so jealous when I see people rocking it. I, I think it's like the cutest thing in the world. So can I just encourage you to not be self-conscious about it, but I know that's easier said than done. Um, 
So yeah, as far as like whether it's a kink and like the, uh, you know, the girlfriend playing with the belly button, just communicate with her. Like it'll be so easy to just talk about it and figure it out. And like, who knows, maybe this will be something fun that the two of you do sexually together, or maybe you'll decide it actually makes you really uncomfortable, or you'll come up with some kind of compromise. Now, given that like for the past six years, it's never come up, my feeling is like this is not something that she absolutely needs to be able to orgasm, but maybe this is like the exact thing that'll make you start loving your belly buttons. So who knows? Moving right along to the baby of it all. Yes, in pregnancy, definitely engage with your girlfriend's belly, talk to it, sing to it, like babies can hear that, create like a warm, nurturing environment, be cognizant of the fact that babies can hear what's going on. I mean, you know, fetuses can hear what's going on inside of the belly. So do try to keep like a calm, nurturing, safe environment rather than one with like a lot of yelling and screaming and like stress and anxiety. Do talk to the belly, do sing to it, do whatever feels good to your girlfriend because this is going to be a time where she's going to have very strong intuition of like what the baby wants and needs and what it doesn't want and needs. So really check in with her. Again, communication really is king in this scenario. As far as babies themselves and belly buttons, um, my sister-in-law recommended this book called Belly Button Book. It's by Sandra Boynton. Uh, That last name is spelled B-O-Y-N-T-O-N. It's available on Amazon. She highly recommended it. Um, Now, I did some research on this, and apparently it's good for babies to blow raspberries on their bellies, because that was a specific thing that was in the question, um, because it encourages them to make noises of their own, which ultimately is how they learn to speak. Now, With this and with everything else regarding babies, and quick disclaimer, I'm not a mother. Like, I've never parented a child. The only things I know about parenting, let's say, and this might be offensive to, like, people who are parents, because obviously, what do I know about parenting? I just know a lot about like childhood trauma, having suffered a lot of it on my own, doing a ton of research on attachment theory and things like that, and like what you can do in childhood to best situate your child, right? Check for cues to see how, like what the baby actually likes. Like I can't speak to my own infancy, but I know as a child, I really disliked when people blew raspberries on my tummy. Like I know it's a thing that people do to kids a lot. It made me feel disgusting. It gave me the ick. It would like it honestly made me feel like low-key kind of violated in my body. Not to be dramatic about it, but like I still get the ick when I thought think about like people blowing raspberries on my tummy. It just like I didn't get it. It like was a gross feeling to me and I really didn't like it. Some kids love it. They think it's hilarious. It tickles. Check your own child for cues. And that brings me to the biggest point. Children are unique. Human beings are unique. And I think the best parents are parents who attune to their child's needs rather than like reading a bunch of books and being like, this is the strategy or being like, okay, I'm going to follow this style of parenting, whether it's like attachment parenting or rye parenting or whatever. Like, obviously I only know about like the more hippie styles of parenting, but like whatever it is, like, or like the way my parents did it, Her parents probably fucked up, you know, (laughs) they just did. Um, 
like rather than deciding on a style of parenting or what to do and enforcing it on the child, the best thing you can really do is just attune to your child's needs because your child is going to have unique needs. And like the three things that I will say for any child, just universal things is you want to constantly let the child know that they're unconditionally loved unconditionally supported, that their needs will always be met, and that they're capable of anything. And I think ultimately all of our parents, even the ones who did like a really great job and it was a really great childhood and you know, there wasn't a lot of chaos or like abuse or anything like that, usually the reason we have like small t trauma is because our parents fucked up on one of those three fronts, right? They met maybe our physical needs, but they weren't attuned to our emotional needs. They, uh, for a lot of us, our parents really did not emphasize that like we were capable of anything. So we grow up thinking we have to like marry into money or fame or we grow up you know being trepidatious like trying to do things alone because we had parents who were like oh my god wait for me wait for me before you do this oh no 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 like there's danger if I'm not around it's one of those things where they kind of fucked up so as long as you do those three things that's the biggest thing with parenting always and like as far as like specific activities or way to ways to connect with your child again just tune into what that child needs like what I needed as a child was a lot of play and laughter and like frankly being allowed to be around my peers more which my parents did not foster in me so each child is so unique some child children really like to be just fully attached to their parents at all times other children want a lot more independence it's Every child is unique. Just tune into that child's needs. But the fact that you're asking these questions leads me to believe that you're going to be a very conscious parent. So congratulations to both of you. Next question. This is a longer one. I'm just going to read it. I always thought I grew up in a loving and secure household, but now I realize that that now I realize that was me almost pretending that was the case because I love my family with all of my heart. So it never dwelled on me that that wasn't the case. Mental illness plays a major role in my family. Both my older sister and father deal with anxiety and depression in their everyday life. I never experienced depression or anxiety as a child, so my family would call me the perfect child because I just went with the flow and did what I was told. And for a while, I loved having that title. But now that I'm older, I feel it forced me to suppress so many feelings because I didn't want to be the quote-unquote problem child. I'm noticing this is the same thing in relationships. For example, talking to this guy, and one thing that bothers me is I feel like he hasn't made a good enough effort to hang out and won't go hours without texting me. Every time an inconvenience like this happens, I convince myself that the guy just doesn't like me anymore or want to be with me and I'll end it. With guys in the past, when it stuck that they didn't chase me, I would be so depressed and hate myself. Like one time this happened with a guy and I slept for three days straight. The guy I talk to now reassures me that he does like me, but has been super busy. And although I forgive him deep down, uh, although I forgive him deep down, I don't and pretend that everything is okay on the surface. But when I'm not with him or talking to him, I'll get panic attacks and just suppress feelings. Okay, first of all, I just want to send you so much love. I relate to so much of what you're saying. And 
really what I'm hearing here is there's a lot of trauma to work through. And this is a good example of small t trauma, right? It sounds like you had a very loving, very supportive childhood. There was no abuse of any kind. It doesn't sound like your family's situation was too chaotic. Like this isn't big t trauma, but this is small t trauma. And let me highlight exactly what is small t trauma right here. So your father and your sister's depression I'm guessing that they were considered to be too needy. They were problematic. They were difficult. They were contra. You were held on this pedestal as the perfect child. Basically, the message that you received as a child is like when you have no needs, when you have no wants, you are easy you're perfect, you're excellent, that's what you have to do to deserve love. And when you have normal human needs, when you have normal human emotions, that is problematic and that's not a desired thing. So in order to receive love, you have to have no needs. So it comes as absolutely no surprise that you grow into an adult who doesn't voice your needs. Like how in the world would you voice your needs when your entire childhood you were praised for having no needs. So what you really need, God, I just said the word need so many times, but like what you really need is you, well, you needed a childhood where you were praised for speaking your feelings, where you were praised for speaking your needs, where you were praised, where you saw, where you were uh, modeled healthy people having healthy, normal needs and voicing them and being praised for doing so. You needed a childhood where like having needs, having wants and voicing those things were encouraged and people received love for them. So even though you didn't get that, it's never too late to give yourself the childhood that you needed. And when we get in kind of like a hypnotic brainwave state, a theta brainwave state, our brains are so malleable. So anything that you kind of visualize in that state will start to imprint in your brain as though it actually happened. And I know that sounds really woo-woo, but it's actually like very basic neuroscience. So what you want to do is you want to get into that kind of impressional impressionable state, like a theta brainwave state. And you want to visualize a childhood where you were praised for speaking your feelings, where you were praised for speaking your needs and visualize a childhood where other people were praised for speaking their needs, were praised for having feelings and needs because a lot of it wasn't directly on you. A lot of it was witnessing the treatment of your dad and your sister. So you really like what I would imagine is like getting in there and having like parents who were constantly like, hey, I'm feeling anxious right now. And other people being like, oh, my God, it's so amazing that you're aware of that and that you can speak it. And like, what can we do to accommodate it? Right. And like when you're in that hypnotic state, you'll literally feel in your body how good it feels for other people to encourage that. And when you repeat that exercise, you'll then have this like new neural pathway in your brain that's like it's really honorable and amazing to have needs and to be able to speak those needs. And then what happens is it'll become very easy for you to speak those needs because you'll have a brain that's wired for speaking needs. 
Does all that make sense? And now again, you can do this in my courses, like the guided meditations that I have, like use binaural beats and they use a lot of tools from different types of therapy, like somatic experiencing and other types of therapy that will get you into like a tools from hypnosis, also an NLP that'll get you into that hypnotic state and then really like create those new neural pathways in your brain. Once you do the subconscious work, then I recommend communicating how you feel. And again, my formula for communicating is always starts with a compliment and then you say the thing, how it makes you feel and then ask them to do things differently, right? So like, hey, I'm having so much fun with you, but when I don't hear from you on a regular basis, it makes me paranoid that you don't like me. Do you think you could make an effort to send me a daily text? Or do you think you can make an effort to you know, schedule plans ahead of time? Whatever it is, even if you're super busy, it can just be a quick text. And again, I know I sound like a broken record. I always advocate for doing the inner work first so that you're more comfortable communicating your needs. Um, Because otherwise, and especially with your situation, like if you just like try to force yourself to like speak your needs and like form follow my formula of speaking your needs, what's going to happen is your subconscious mind is going to be anticipating disaster because that's what you witnessed as a child. You witness like people who have needs are bad. And so like what you'll then be doing is like creating an action that your brain deems is bad because that's the messaging it received as a child. But when you do that subconscious work first, then it'll be like, oh my God, speaking my needs is like the most amazing thing I could do with my life. It just makes things easier. <sighs> okay. Um, I There are th- three more questions that I'm going to do because they're pretty quick. Um, next question. Can you talk about long distance relationships specifically in different countries? Um, technology makes this a lot easier do FaceTime dates, do phone calls, do FaceTimes while you're doing stuff, like you're cooking, you're putting on makeup, you're getting ready to do something. It'll just make you feel like you're in each other's lives more. Um, You can watch things together and discuss, um, mix up communication styles. So text, call, do FaceTimes, like send memes, send each other TikToks, whatever. Again, it'll just make you feel like you have you're more in each other's lives. Um, always have a plan for the next trip or next time you see each other, even if it's like far away, just having something planned will make it feel better. Um, maybe find places where you can meet halfway. Um, you can set up certain rituals. Like for example, I really advocate doing like uh, like listing three things that you're grateful for every night. That could be something you do together. Although if you're in different countries, time zone stuff can be different. Um like maybe like one of you is on a lunch break. The other is like just getting off work. That could be like your ritual of a time where you catch up. Um, maybe like you do a game night every, I don't know, Thursday night or something. Just something where there's some kind of like routine and ritual set up. Um, as far as FaceTime itself, um, I believe there's a way you can zoom out. So it's like not like right in your face, which is especially nice for sexy time. Um, you can like mutually masturbate on FaceTime, sext. Um, keep in mind any nude that you sent, you, you send ever. I don't care how much you trust this person. You should be really comfortable with it like getting out there. So like personally, I have never sent a nude with my face in them. That's a rule that I think is really, really nice. Um, 
There's a vibrator brand. It's called We Vibe that has like a remotely controlled vibrator. So basically like it like you could use it and then your partner can like virtually control it. It's a nice way to have like virtual sex. And the last and maybe most important thing is like be very clear about your expectations. You're like communication is so much more important when you're long distance because you don't have the other like nonverbal communication things as much. So like be very clear. How often do you want to see each other? How often do you want to talk, FaceTime, text, et cetera? And how long are you willing to do long distance? Is it indefinitely? Maybe you're fine living like this for the rest of your life, which is fine. Maybe a year, maybe five years. I don't know. But like be very clear about your goals and plans long term. Just overall, be very clear about your expectations. And that goes both ways. Be very clear about yours and ask about theirs because that's just going to be the foundation of a healthy future. Uh, Okay, I'm doing two more. Is it possible to be in love with two people at once? I have a very, very, very lame answer to this. And that's what is love. Like, how are we defining love? Because... Like, for example, some people might say to this, well, like, oh, it's possible to be in lust with two people at once, but not in love. Okay, like, what is love then? How are we defining love? Like, does, like, I don't think there is a universal definition of what love is. Like, I love my parents. I love Ozzy. I love my friends. I love you guys. Like, all of these loves are in different ways. Is there, like, an exact moment where it stops being lust and it starts being love? Like, people have different definitions of this. And anyone who tells you there's, like, some kind of universal meaning of what love really is, is lying to you. And I think this is a charlatan and someone you should be aware of. Now, I'm curious to know what your situation is, because this is a very vague uh, question. Were you already in a relationship and someone new came in? Because if that's the case, what does this new person have that the person that you were already with didn't have? Because that's what I would look at. I would care a lot less about like, okay, am I actually in love with these two people at once? There was something missing in that first relationship that this new person embodies. And I'd be curious to know what that was. And like, does the is the first person capable of providing that to you? Or is this something that's actually something you really, really need and can't live without? Or did you meet both these people around the same time? You're maybe not committed with either either of them yet and you like um, can't choose between the two of them or something like that. If that's the case, what is it that you like about each of these people? And could there maybe be a third person out there that has traits of both of these people? Is it possible to be in love with two people at once? I don't think anyone really knows the answer to this, but I I would venture to say it's actually not that relevant. And I think there's something much deeper and much more interesting going on here. And I would really look at like the two people that you think you might be in love with at once. What are they providing for you? And what is one providing that the other isn't? And that's where the real answer that you're looking for lies. Okay, last question. It's a super quick one. What's something you would teach your younger self first to help get better prepared for a relationship? 
Um, number one, do the internal work first. Look at your demons, look at your triggers, look at the things that make you feel defensive. What is it that someone could say to you that'll make you go, what? No, fuck you. No, you're so wrong. That's where you need to do work. Um, you know, like look at like what was missing from your childhood that you really needed. What happened in your childhood that like kind of traumatized you work through all those things. I'm not saying you have to be a perfectly healed person to be in a relationship at all. But if you want better relationships, addressing this stuff will make you much better off. The other thing, and this is like kind of personal and not, might not apply to everyone. If I could talk to like 11, 12 year old me, what I would say is like, you're going to have a lot of relationships and that's okay. Because like I grew up in a household that was very strict. And I think a lot of us kind of grew up in a less sex positive kind of time. And like, I know for me, like I wasn't allowed to date. Like I wasn't allowed to have crushes. Like I was like really kind of extremely verbally abused when like guys would just like call the house trying to talk to me like sometimes like to ask questions about homework like the amount that I got yelled at and called names for something where I did literally nothing wrong is insane so of course it was like imprinted in me that like if I liked a guy and he liked me and like we kind of dated it was like such a wrong thing for me in the household that I lived in that I think I felt the pressure of like okay well this has to be it like we have to get married because like if I'm gonna sacrifice like being like literally verbally abused like to the point where I was like terrified that I'd be physically abused then like this better be it right I wish I could go back and tell and like so that really made me cling on to relationships cling on to guys that like weren't it for me just because like I had this like fear of letting go I like if I could talk to younger me I would say you're gonna date a million guys and that's okay like date a guy until until you're not happy anymore and then break up with him and that's fine you're not a slut you're not a whore you're not any of these things this is life this is how you grow so that's it for me personally of course that might not apply to everyone else but the universal thing is like get to know yourself build a strong relationship with yourself get to know your demons like really be aware of yourself because that will always make a better relationship with other people okay that's it that's it for Q&A. We'll do more Q&A episodes in the future. Um, again, if you're an Academy member and you have questions that weren't answered, submit them. They'll be answered within the Academy. Um, and if you're not, submit them. And at some point, uh, I'll do another Q&A episode. And guess what? It's never too late to be a member of the Academy, especially coming up on the Thanksgiving challenge. The link to join is in the show notes. Love you guys. If you took anything from this episode, please, please, please share this episode with someone. If you could just take a few seconds to leave a review, think of it as like tipping at a restaurant, right? You're getting all this beautiful, amazing, stunning content for free. Like you would leave a 20% tip at a restaurant, note at a restaurant, not when you go to the fucking bodega and buy a bottle of water, but at a restaurant where you actually received service, you leave a 20% tip. In this scenario, you could take five seconds, go to the podcast app, leave a five-star review about how amazing this podcast is, share it with your friends, share it with people who would appreciate some, take something from it, put it in your Instagram stories, tag at blush pod. You get the drill. 
Love you guys. Talk to you next week. Bye.